Blog Talk Radio. Well, from the storm-tossed foothills of East Tennessee, we we bring you the Crystal Silence League Hour once again. I'm the Reverend John St. Germain, your genial host tonight. We're going to look into the evidence for survival and what this means, not surviving the storm-tossed foothills of East Tennessee, although that is no mean feat. But answering that question or investigating that question, a very important question, is there some part of the human organism that survives the dissolution and the breakup of the physical body. We'll be back in just a minute with our prayers and our stone of the week, and then we'll dive into that very question. So bear with us. good news is that we have every episode of the Crystal Silence League Hour uh, on, on podcast, and you can link to these a number of ways. You can go to any one of the many Facebook pages that we uh, have on the LMC network, uh, my Facebook page, my Divine Harmony Spiritual Church Facebook page, the Crystal Silence League Facebook page, the Lucky Mojo Facebook page, um, the... Um, Oh, my goodness, any one of them. Uh, LMC Network Facebook page, the Association of uh, Independent Spiritual Churches Facebook page. You can go to the Lucky Mojo uh, uh, Curio Company page uh, pretty much anywhere and uh, access any of these links that tell you where to go to see the the podcast link. So we're going to do the same to all of the shows on the LMC radio network so that you can enjoy or otherwise listen to all the uh, radio content that we have broadcast over the past few years. Uh, A tremendous amount of information for those of you interested in hoodoo root work and related spiritual uh, topics. We're not just about hoodoo, as you know. Uh, Crystal Silence League branches out into many spiritual aspects. we uh, 
we dwell mostly on new thought and related branches. And on my show, we've discussed everything. We've discussed uh, Zoroasterism, Buddhism, Hinduism, uh, Egyptology, spiritualism, and just about anything that catches my interest. So uh, we have um, shows that deal with Wicca. We have shows that deal with um, – we had a show that dealt with uh, Santeria at one point. And uh, my gosh, we've had uh, just about everything on this voodoo. Um, Pilo, we had we had just about everything. So uh, dig deep into the wells of our knowledge. Of course, the Crystal Silence League was founded around 1917 by a, a New Thought adept named uh, Claude Conlon, who made his uh, first fortune in the Klondike as a gold digger. Uh, you know, gold prospector. Uh, he was a uh, associate of Soapy Smith, about whom you should read. Interesting uh, character there, uh, who was apparently involved in many shady activities. And uh, uh, Claude Conlon was apparently part of the Soapy Smith story. Uh, he made friends with a vaudeville producer, uh, was a vaudeville performer for a while opened a publishing company, and in his retirement started the Crystal Silence League. And He was a publisher of New Age books, books on spiritualism, books on astrology, books on palmistry. He published just about everything involving uh, spirituality. And he was known to receive thousands of postcards and letters a day asking for his help. And he would put his crystal ball to work, projecting positive thoughts and affirmation for all those in need. When he passed into the silence around 1954, the League went with him until Magical Adepts of Missionary Independent Spiritual Church, which is now, of course, the Association of Independent Spiritual Churches, brought it back to life. Around uh, 2007, I believe, 2007 to 2009, we acquired it. And now you can go to www.crystalsilenceleague.org and post your prayers. And if you go there, you will find that we get about 200 prayers a week or more. I think we get more now of people asking for prayers. And prayer is always free. We don't charge for prayers. We do not. And uh, sometimes we get uh, uh, rather cynical accusations leveled at us. I could read some of those to you instead of prayers, and uh, you can see just how um, – I don't, I don't know how negative some people's mindsets are, uh, calling us scam artists and frauds and things. We don't charge for this. This comes out of our uh, our pockets. We do this ourselves. We support it from our um, our own activities. We we pay for this ourselves. Nobody is, nobody is charged for any of this. Uh, it's something we do uh, as a – Community service. How is it a scam? I have no idea. But uh, we get to over 200 prayers a week, and we pray for people. Uh, you know, as uh, Mr. Conlon did in his day, we do this for free. And if you go there, you'll find that we have prayers, and you can post a prayer, and we'll pray for you. It's as simple as that. So um, before we go to our prayers, it's my custom to read several of these aloud so that we can pray for you and send positive thoughts and affirmation. And in the Crystal Silence League, we do that with the aid of a crystal ball. And uh, we teach how to do that in the League. And we have literature, some of which was written by Mr. Conlon himself, and some of which is written by me. I am sort of the heir to Mr. Conlon's uh, turban, I guess. I don't wear a turban. I have one, but I don't wear it. It's an old turban, too, from the vaudeville era. It's in my chapel. I have it on display um, it was not worn by Mr. Conlon, as far as I know, but it was worn by a Swami of some sort. So let's talk about our crystal of the week, which is a uh, iron rose. And we have pictures of that on our slideshow. An iron rose is hematite that grows in a series of layers that makes it look like a flower. And uh, they're very pretty. And like all hematite, um, the iron rose has a grounding effect and it helps with uh, personal magnetism. It helps you radiate your own uh, positive magnetism. 
However, we have this rose shape to it, this flower shape, which makes it just natural for working with chakras. You can place it over any chakra and use it to help radiate uh, the positive energy of that chakra, to balance it, to ground it, to uh, uh, help relieve that chakra of any negative energy because that's what hematite does. It absorbs and radiates uh, and uh, gets rid of any negative energy. Uh, the hematite will hold a charge, and this is something that um, many people will use hematite for. Um, it will hold any kind of radiant charge that you give it. So the rose can actually be used as a healing stone. And it's also supposedly very good as a gift to spirit. So it's good for transmitting spirit messages. Um, I've also heard it's used for receiving spirit messages. I've never done that myself. But for giving message to spirit, it's very good. Uh, hold it in your hands as you would a gift. Uh, give it the message you wish to send to spirit and lay it on your altar where it will transmit the message you want to the spirit world. Um, what I've been told, and I've not tried this yet, the spirit will give the message back into the rose and then you can, you can take it and uh, hold it in your hands and receive the message back. So I suppose it's sort of a spiritual walkie talkie and that's uh, iron rose. I suppose if you're a psychometric medium, which is what I am, I'm a psychometric medium. I'm not a uh, open channeler medium. I'm a psychometric medium. I touch things. Um, that would work quite well. That's our iron rose. Uh, very interesting um, uh, crystal. If you see them, uh, you know, there's a specular right hematite, which is the, the round polished hematite, which is very good for scrying. And you have the iron rose. Hematite comes in many forms, uh, cubic, uh, globular, um, the brain, grape form. Um, it's very, very interesting. It's about 90% iron. It's a very interesting uh, source of iron. More often than not, it's got a magnetic charge to it. Um, it's sort of a form of lodestone. It's sort of a polished form of lodestone. Um, has many of the same qualities. Uh, it used to be called a bloodstone because it will get spots of rust on it sometimes. It looks like blood. It's not the same kind of bloodstone as the uh, green and pink bloodstone, which is a different sort of um, mineral altogether. But um, if you study it, it's a very uh, – and the bloodstone, the green and red bloodstone, also used to be called hematite, H-A-E-matite, to confuse matters. It aren't, aren't crystals interesting? I think they're very interesting. Well, let's move on. If you'd like to go to crystalsilencely.org and go to the prayer uh, pages, you can uh, pray along with me if you like. Now, how do you join Crystal Silence League? Well, you buy something. We have books. We have crystals. We have uh, crystal balls. And if you buy something, you get a year's membership in the Crystal Silence League. That's part of how we pay for the website um, and uh, other expenses related to it. Um, you buy stuff. You know, we've got a gift shop. And you buy crystals and crystal balls. And uh, if you buy, by the way, if you buy a crystal, a $5 crystal, you get a free book. Um, we give a lot of stuff away. These books on our how to do crystal projection, uh, the two books were written by Mr. Conlon. We give a lot of those away. We just give them to you if you buy stuff. Um, and they, they teach you how to use the projection codes, as they're called. For instance, if you want to project wealth, you uh, – you enter what we call the silence, and you project, uh, I am wealthy, prosperous, and my bills are paid, and I'm rolling in dough. You know, if you want to project love, uh, I, I am loved and happy, and everyone just thinks I'm a great guy. You know, we call these projection codes. You always do it in the present tense, too. We we have episodes and, and uh podcast on how to do this. I, I talk quite a bit about it in the past, and maybe I'll talk about it again if I run out of other stuff to talk about. But we're going to say some prayers now, and I never say these by name. I always keep anonymity secret, and I just use prayer ID. So let's start. Prayer ID 72872. I pray for the souls of both L and S V 
and their deceased relatives to be led out of purgatory and be accepted into God's company in heaven. Please, dear ones, wait for me in heaven. Amen. And prayer ID 72871. Need to heal cancer tumors, anemia, heartbreak, and some some dance fi- some dance financial blocks. My father is dealing with some health and financial crisis. Amen. Prayer ID seven two eight seven zero. I pray I get enough money for rent. Amen. Prayer ID seven two eight six nine. God, please humble and break S down for all the hurt, pain, depression, using disrespect, verbal, and mental abuse. I have suffered from his hands in 12 years. Please repay him and let him reap it all back 1,000-fold. As he has tried to destroy my life, let destruction come to his. Amen. Prayer ID 72868. Please pray for my boyfriend. He is addicted to alcohol, and it's destroying his daily life, and it's making our relationship unstable. Please help me in praying that he no longer desires another drink. Thank you. Amen. Prayer ID 72864. Multiple sclerosis has taken over my body. I'm in constant pain and cannot walk or see or stand. The pain and fatigue are terrible. Please pray for my healing and peace. Thank you so much. Amen. Prayer ID 72863. Please, God, find a job that will be good for me, my family, and the people around me. Amen. Prayer ID 72861. Thanks to Divine Spirit. And for the prayers being appointed ongoing to my sight, please pray, cats and me protected from my ex, his friends, family and associates, and under the fullest extent of the law, our house is always safe and secure. I meet my ideal soulmate in my ideal profession with synchronicity. My permanent job is complaint-free and always safe and protected. I make more decent and sincere friends. Amen. And prayer ID 72860, Lord, I ask you to remove all blocks standing between me and my ability to live the best life possible. I open myself to receiving your blessings of abundance in every area of my life. I thank you for blessing me financially, good health, good luck, freedom from adversity, and a supportive community. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Prayer ID 72859. My mom just had a heart attack. Please pray for her. Lord, you are a miracle worker. Strengthen and heal her in Jesus' name. Amen. Prayer ID 72858. Pray for my dear son to be touched, his heart to get in contact with me, to forget anything that is stopping my son to talk to me, anything if anybody has done to stop him contacting me. Amen. And one more. Prayer ID 72856. My beloved friends, please pray for us as we enter the courtroom tomorrow in an eviction case. Please pray that our family stays together and we have a home to call our own. Please pray that we avoid homelessness. Cosmos, bless us all. And you, dear friends, may you be blessed a thousandfold. Amen. And now let's take a moment of silent prayer for all those in need of support and comfort and assurance.
And I'd like to ask for a special prayer for little Alfred, whose small soul may be crossing the Rainbow Bridge sometime tonight or tomorrow or the next day or so. Amen. Well, tonight we're talking about um, an interesting phenomenon, mediumship, spirit mediumship, and the Society of Psychical uh, Research, which is founded around 1844 or 45 on both continents. It started in London, moved to America very quickly, and it arose in response to two simultaneous movements. One was the movement of rationalism where it was believed that science could figure out everything, that between Newtonian physics and Darwinism, all answers to mankind's most pressing questions could be answered, and to the counter-movement of spiritualism, uh, which science poo-pooed and said it was a bunch of hokum. So the Society of of, uh, Psychical Research came together a group of people, very serious people, comprised of philosophers, scientists, and uh, intelligent laymen who um, were disillusioned with uh, uh, simple faith that religion had the answers or that science had the answers. They wanted to take on the materialists of uh, Newtonian physics and Darwinism at their own game. They wanted to use the methods of imperial science and use sound scientific methods to investigate what we now call the paranormal. Now, this is not to say that uh, the members of the uh, SPR were all believers in the paranormal. They, they were equally comprised uh, the membership equally comprised of skeptics, believers, and neutral neutral people who just wanted to find out. Um, they were all formally committed, though, to investigate without prejudice or preposition and with a scientific spirit. Um, so the first president of the SPR, uh, whose, whose, whose name was Henry Sidgwick, who was a uh, – and is to this day a very respected – well, he's not alive today, but to this day, he's a considered a respected philosopher. Um, made a statement, which you can read in the uh, first issue, the first journal, uh, the JSPR, the Journal of the Society of uh, Psychical Research, which you can still get. They have a website. You know, they have a. They're still around today, going strong, still investigating. He said, "We believe unreservedly in the methods of modern science." and were prepared to accept submissively her reasoned conclusions. He sounds like a professor of philosophy, doesn't he? When sustained by the agreement of experts, but we were not prepared to submit with equal docility to the mere prejudices of scientific men. And it appeared to us that there was an important body of evidence tending prima facie to establish the independence of soul or spirit which modern science had simply left on one side with ignorant contempt, and that in so leaving, she had been untrue to her professed method and had arrived prematurely at her negative conclusions. Observe that we did not affirm that these negative conclusions were scientifically erroneous. To have said that would have been to fall into the very error we were trying to avoid. We have only said that they had been arrived at prematurely. So, the existence of the SPR filled a very important need, the scientific investigation of the paranormal, because no one had ever done that. People believed it or they didn't. Now, before the age of rationalism, people just accepted that there were ghosts and apparitions and things that went bump in the night, or they didn't. 
They just said, well, you know, there there are, they're written. Um, so um, some of the early members uh, uh, were uh, Sir Oliver Lodge and Sir William Crooks. Now, Sir William Crooks was very famous for his uh, investigation and endorsement of the medium uh, Daniel Douglas Hume. And Sir uh, William Crooks actually coined the term psychic. Uh, as a noun, saying that people who did these things were psychics. So if you call yourself a psychic, if you say, I am a psychic, or people who read minds and do paranormal stuff as a psychic, you have uh, uh, Sir William Crooks. And Daniel Douglas Home was the first psychic. He was the first person to be referred to as a psychic by um, Sir William Crooks. Um, Richard Hodgson, uh, Frank Podmore, who was a famous writer, uh, were um, um, uh, were uh, members. Um, there were um, uh, Frederick Myers, uh, who you'll hear a lot about, and Edmund Gurney um, were um, um, members. Now. Uh, uh, Oliver Lodge and William Crooks were open-minded. They were very cautious. They were. You'll you'll hear many skeptics say that Crooks and Lodge were gullible believers, but if you look at the facts and you read the case cases, they were not. <clears throat> um, Crooks did endorse many spirit mediums, um, and it was said that he had affairs with some of them. However, he debunked many many spirit mediums, uh, as did uh, Oliver Lodge. Um, Hodgson and Podmore were ruthlessly skeptical. They believed nothing. And they're more like what we think of as modern-day skeptics, you know, like James Randi, um, uh, Joe Nickel, people like that. They they believed nothing. Uh, so they had a balance. And then you had um, uh, people like uh, Frederick Myers and Edmund Gurney who were uh, – uh, Passionately devoted to investigating it. Uh, they, they were into the investigation. They they never arrived at conclusions, really. They just investigated it. So um, they they mainly got into the uh, issue of uh, mediumship. So a medium, just to be clear, is a person. And usually in those days, not always, but usually it was a woman. Now, there were exceptions. There was uh, Arthur Ford and there were uh, uh, Daniel Douglas Holm. Uh, and, and a few others um, uh, who is a transmitter, like a radio receiver, uh, between the living world and those in the spirit world. So they there, there's two very broad categories. There's a physical medium and a mental medium. The physical mediumship, um, had, they had physical phenomena uh, that occurred uh, – around the body of the medium. So these, these were wraps, right? You know, spirit, do you hear us? One wrap one for yes, two for no. Spirit, are you here? You know, um, are you the spirit of uh, Abraham Lincoln? You know, what happened, uh, spirit? Uh, do you, are you here to communicate with us? You know, uh, so, uh, and then they'd spell out the alphabet. You know, you know what's your name? A, A, B. A, B, C, D, you know, and it was very tedious, and uh, people would do this with great concentration. So um, uh, this would go on for a long time. Um, there would be objects that moved, and sometimes there would be materialization of spirits. You'd, you'd see, now you can look at photographs, and there would be uh, heads, hands, feet, uh, bodies floating in the air, uh, some very spectacular ectoplasm, uh, this gooey substance that would. Uh, uh, extrude from the nose, mouth, uh, and sometimes genitalia of the medium. Um, now, uh, what was spectacular about Daniel uh, Douglas Hume was that he did not work in the dark. He worked in light. He worked in dim light, but light. And he was never, not once, exposed it's a fraud. He was never exposed cheating. There were some people like the poet Shelley who hated him, who said, oh, I saw him cheat. I saw him cheat. He he uh, he used his foot and said it was a hand. And uh, and I, 
I remember reading that. It said so because there would be a hand, a spirit hand would appear in the middle of a table and like crawl across the table. And Shelley said it was his foot. And I'm thinking, did, did he have a foot like a chimpanzee, you know, with an opposable thumb? You know, that was insane. But uh, Shelley, for some reason, hated him. And uh, um, uh, apparently, Shelley was very homophobic. And even though uh, Hume was married twice, and both times it was to Russian, believe it or not, Russian princesses, Russian duchesses, uh, there was some evidence that Hume was homosexual and may have one time or other come on to Shelley. Uh, but he hated him, and he said, oh, I saw him cheat, I saw him cheat. But there were, there were maybe two or three people who um, uh, said – they saw him cheat, but they were they were uh, rabid and hostile uh, uh, disbelievers in uh, spiritualism, and they had no smoking gun. It only happened a couple of times, and uh, no one could ever prove it or catch him. They say, "Okay, do it again," and and then they say, "Okay, he's doing this. Well, let's watch him again." And it, it, nobody else saw it. Uh, it's like when people watch a magician, and he's doing a car trick, and go, "Oh, I saw that! It went up his sleeve!" And everybody's like, "No, no, it didn't." You know, it's kind of like that. Um, and you know, it's obvious it couldn't have happened. So, but he was never, never caught, and he would do it in daylight, and people saw him levitate and do all kinds of things. So it was a, uh, uh, but many, most of the physical mediums insisted in total darkness, and so, um, um. It became very obvious to members of the SPR um, um, that this was just a uh, fertile ground for malpractice. And uh, uh, even Hume himself, who wrote a couple of books on uh, spiritualism, complained bitterly. He bitterly complained about uh, the field being rife with fraudulent practitioners, which brought the entire spiritual uh, movement, spiritualist movement into uh, disrepute. And he, he said he didn't blame people for uh, uh, thinking spiritualism was uh, full of frauds. It's kind of like kind of like today, you know. You watch television, and uh, you know people make fun of John Edward, and I, I, I can't blame him. The the uh, I, I I know there's a difference in his private readings and his public readings, and it's because of TV editing, and because it's 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 uh, put as entertainment, uh, it's produced as entertainment. But that's kind of like saying, you know, Ju Judge Judy is the representative of the legal system, you know, or Dr. Phil is representative of the psychiatric uh, practice. You can't, you know, or you watch, uh, uh, you know, you watch uh, MASH and think, okay, you know, that's how war is. Or you watch uh, ER and say, okay, that's how that's how medicine is. You, you know, you can't get an accurate view of uh, these things by watching entertainment. Um, you get a... a I mean, come on, those of you who practice mediumship, you know, don't you get frustrated by these things? So, um, so this, this whole, uh, dark room seance thing, uh, the founders of SPR said, you know, we, we can't sit in the dark and try to, uh, figure out if they're really communicating with the dead or not, you know, by, by raps on a table that we, you know, we can't, <laughs> we can't tell if it's, uh, spirits or uh you know some spirit medium using uh, an invisible hammer or something so uh, they concentrated on mental mediumship and uh so there's clairvoyant mediumship which where the medium is in a, a, a not not a trance but in a slightly uh disoriented state uh, or disassociated state uh kind of like a, a dreamy state uh, with a uh they claim to hear or see deceased friends or relatives, uh, and they transmit messages. Now, sometimes it's it's symbolic, symbolic images, and the medium has to interpret them. But now, the most advanced form of mental mediumship is trance mediumship, and this very much intrigued these founders of the SPR. They were very fascinated with this, and they looked diligently for uh, impressive trance medium mediums. So. Uh, in this form, the uh, primary personality of the medium is completely gone and is uh, is uh, 
possessed by an intruding intelligence, uh, which controls the speech, writing, or behavior of the medium. Now, most often there's just one one entity, which is called the control, that appears to communicate directly through the medium, and this control entity relays messages from the deceased acquaintances who are the communicators to those present at the seance, and these are the sitters. You rarely see this today. Usually, the medium is a direct channel, and they speak directly uh, from the deceased. They'll say, yeah, I, you know, I, I'm getting uh, you know, someone named you know, with an initial M. You know, is this Mary? Mary says, hi. This is a very dangerous practice, in my opinion, direct channeling because of this possession that takes place. What I have observed and what traditional spiritualists will tell you is that every time you do this, you lose a little bit of yourself. And over time, it will burn you out. And if you watch John Edward and James Von Prague, and if you saw Sylvia Brown um, over the years, you saw this. They're, They're going crazy, and I've seen it happen uh, i can tell you stories about spirit you know channelers i've known over the years who eventually they got crazier and crazier many of them um turned to drink and other drugs to um quiet the voices in their head um so the old spirit mediums and this goes back thousands of years used control used the control this was one one personality usually a relative or someone they knew who passed on would would enter their mind and act as a buffer between the medium and the rest of the spirits. This also prevented any kind of uh, malignant entity from taking over their body. So there was the control. One entity, the control. Uh, now, uh, during a seance sometimes, uh, um, a succession of deceased individuals could drop in and communicate directly through the medium. Um, and that's when things would get a little crazy. So um, now in the in the most extreme cases, which is known as possession mediumship, the medium's body um, appears to be completely possessed by the intruding agent. And um, the um, medium's personality is replaced entirely by the deceased individual. Um those the mediums that did that uh, were, were uh, had brief careers. They were uh, they gave spectacular results usually for uh, a couple of years, two or three years, and then they just quit entirely. So um, the trance mediumship, uh, especially in that form of possession, according to the SPR, was by far the rarest form of mental mediumship. But that's the form that received the most attention. From the SPR, the investigators realized uh, from the evidence obtained from physical mediumship was unreliable and could be easily dismissed by skeptics uh, on the grounds of fraud or mistaken eyewitness testimony, which is what most magicians did. You know, Houdini would come in, whether it was uh, genuine or not, you you couldn't tell. And Houdini said, oh, it's fake. Look, I can do it. You know, turned the lights off and Houdini was manifesting all kinds of stuff saying that's how he did it. And he put it in a show. In fact, the Houdini's expose of Marjorie, the medium, uh, Mina Crandon was uh, utterly made up. But magicians say, yeah, he exposed Marjorie. No, he didn't. Marjorie's uh, career after the Houdini expose made it very obvious um, that Houdini's expose did, did not expose her. Now, that Marjorie was uh, a fake was probably true, uh, at least some of her stuff. Now, not maybe not all. Marjorie may have been a talented medium. That she faked some of her um, manifestations, probably true, but not the way Houdini said she did it. Um, and Houdini was actually caught telling one of his uh, assistants to throw his carpenter. He was a carpenter. He was a he built Houdini's um, equipment, and after Houdini's death, he told uh, William Lindsay Gresham, he said, yeah, Houdini told me to throw my carpentry rule in her cabinet, you know, to set her up. And uh, 
and one of the spirits said that. I said, Houdini, you – and he cussed him out. He called him a, a you know, an effer, F-U-C-K, or – and uh, said, uh, you, you threw you, you threw this in the cabinet to to uh, set my sister up. Walter was the control's name. Uh, it was Marjorie's bro- dead brother. said, you tried to set my sister up. You threw this in the cabinet. You four flusher. You cheat. And uh, Houdini denied it, but, of course, he did. And uh, they, they eventually uh, – through uh, Houdini and Malcolm Bird, who apparently was having an affair with Marjorie off the committee because of <laughs> all the controversy they were causing. Uh, that's another story, though. Um, so the um, um, the um, one of the very first trance mediums they studied was also one of the most impressive. Uh, her name was uh, Leonora Piper of Boston, and... Um, uh, who became known as Mrs. Piper. And they had hundreds of seances with her, hundreds of sessions. And she was probably one of the most thoroughly investigated spirit mediums um, in the late 1800s. And I will tell you that uh, she was also one of the most second guessed by skeptics long after the facts. Um, you, you know how, uh, Skeptic was just said, well, she could have done this. She could have done this. She could have done this. And if you look in the journals of the SPR, they thought of all that already. And uh, what I would like to do is um, uh, just tell you a little bit, uh, just a little bit about her. She started her career when she went to a um, – she consulted a, a healing medium um, whose whose name oddly, oddly was uh, Mrs. Cock, and during her visit – she went to a trance herself and wrote down a message for one of the other sitters who was a, a judge frost. And the message uh, came from supposedly, you know, came from frost's uh, deceased son and it's um, value uh, impressed the judge more than anything he had encountered through uh, his own investigation into mediumship. So Mrs. Popper began to set up her own circles and a series of spirit guides took turns acting as her controls. And uh, so um, most of those guides soon retired, except a new control who gave the name uh, Dr. Finuit, who claimed to be a deceased French physician. Now, um, researchers came to believe that he was a, um, uh, a fictitious character invented by Mrs. Popper's subconscious, but um, whatever his status was, um, the trance state seemed to be genuine. She could be cut. She could be pricked with uh, pins. And she could have a bottle of ammonia held under her nose without being disturbed when she was in a trance state. And within a few minutes of entering a trance, Mrs. Popper would begin to speak with the voice of Finuit. Uh, um um, I'm sorry, I mispronounced, it's, it's Pinay, Dr. Pinay. I'm sorry, I'm mispronouncing that, Pinay, which is gruff, very masculine, and uh, with a uh, French accent. Um, and when he was in top form, he would give sitters um, uh, detailed accounts of the appearances uh, and mannerisms of deceased friends and relatives and would uh, transmit messages from them uh, Mimicking their gestures and mannerisms um, precisely, there would be these communications, not just vague messages, but detailed communications, um, uh, and the information would, would, would turn out to be accurate even in the tiniest of details. There are uh, uh, um, long transcriptions of this in the journals of the SPR. When you read these, they are uh, like conversations between friends who've been separated uh, from each other, you know, by a period of, uh, you know, months or even years, and they're just catching up. So on off days, uh, Pinay would ramble and uh, 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 just kind of ramble and go on. But um, now and again, he'd really spring surprises. Uh, there's a uh, particular uh, incident that impressed even uh, some of the skeptical members uh uh, there's a Mr. Rich uh, gave Pinay a dog collar. Uh, 
And shortly after, uh, Pinay said he saw the dog running and he exclaimed, here he comes. Look at him jump. There he's now jumping and around you. So glad to see you. Rover, Rover. Oh, no, no, no. It's Grover. Grover. That's his name. Now, what was interesting about this was the dog had once been called Rover, but his name was changed to Grover in uh, 1884 in honor of the recently elected president, Grover Cleveland, which impressed even the most skeptical uh, members of the SPR. So William James, the uh, philosopher, the very famous philosopher, was discovered um, uh, for the SPR, who attended one of her seances with his wife. Um, uh, William, James, William and Mrs. James gave no information about themselves, said nothing, while Mrs. Popper was in a trance. Uh, nevertheless, uh, Penney spoke to them about matters that uh, uh, Professor James and his wife felt certain nobody but they could have known. Now, uh, you ever hear uh, the saying, um, uh, extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence that's often attributed to Carl Sagan? That, that's actually um, William James said that. Carl Sagan was quoting William, ja William James. So James is so impressed, he uh, he sent as many as 25 to 30 other people from the SPR to sit um, with uh, Mrs. Popper under pseudonyms and secret identities. And uh, in a report on her mediumship uh, uh, written up in the SPR in, 18, in their journal of 1886, he wrote, I'm persuaded of the medium's honesty and of the genuineness of her trance, and uh, although at first disposed to think that the hits she made were either lucky coincidence or the result of knowledge on her part of who the sitter was and of his or her f family affairs, I now believe her to be in possession of a power as yet unexplained. He was not ready to say it was co contact with spirits, and even later on he thought it was telepathy or ESP. And that was a common explanation by people who did not want to believe in spirit communication, that it could – one of the things they tried to eliminate, in fact, was are they using ESP or telepathy? So they would do double-blind tests. Um, they would try to find information that the sitters didn't know. And if they, they tried to figure out, could the spirit know this? Is it something that maybe the medium the medium might have – they had a thing called super ESP. Maybe they're reading the – maybe the sitter is reading the mind of somebody, and the medium is reading the mind of somebody through the uh, – they had very complicated theories rather than say it's a spirit. So I want to play for you uh, right now. Uh, well, let's, let's just wait a minute. We'll talk a little bit more about this, and I'll play for you. Uh, anyway, as a result of William James, who was very impressed with Mrs. Popper uh, – the board of directors of the SPR in London uh, engaged her, uh, but they, they put her on their payroll. They, they paid her a retaining fee uh, uh, basically so that she would be a, a full-time guinea pig. Uh, so uh, uh, in 1887, they sent Richard Hodgson, uh, one of their chief uh, uh, troubleshooters, uh, to take charge of the investigation. He was a ruthless skeptic. This would be like sending James Randi over, right? Say, okay, Randy, go go check her out. Uh, he was also considered uh, an expert in the unmasking of fraud. You know, like I said, this is the James Randi of their time, right? He knew he now. At one time, he uh, he wanted to prove that he could uh, fool his SPR members, and he um, he was so knowledgeable. He said, "I'm going to do a seance and fool you guys. You can't tell me how I did it." And he succeeded. They they were like, "I don't know how you did all this." So you know, he was good at this. Uh, so, first he had several sittings with Mrs. Piper, uh, at which a lot of intimate knowledge, uh, some of it very personal, was shown uh, of uh, many of his deceased friends and relatives. Uh, then he arranged for sittings with uh, uh, as many as 50 people, it was said, who he believed to be complete strangers to Mrs. Piper. And he took the utmost precautions to prevent her from obtaining any information on the sitters, and by, I mean precautions. Here's what he did. He had detectives following her around to make sure she wasn't doing research. He had her followed day and night. He had sitters were introduced anonymously or under a pseudonym. They sometimes entered the room only after Mrs. Piper had gone into a trance. They sat behind her rather than facing her. Uh, in most of these cases, the results were the same. They were given facts that they were sure she could not have known. 
through ordinary means. Uh, he, he had her trailed by detectives. He had her uh, watched day and night. Uh, they made sure that neither Mrs. Piper or her husband or anybody she knew uh, could uh, ascertain facts or communicate with her or had Confederates. Uh, uh, Hodgson had to admit not the smallest indication of any such procedure was discovered. So William James submitted a report and said, Dr. Hodgson considers that the hypothesis of fraud cannot be seriously maintained. I agree with him absolutely. The medium has been under observation much of the time under close observation as in most of the conditions of her life by a large number of persons eager, many of them, to pounce upon any suspicious circumstance for nearly 15 years. During that time, not only has there not been one single suspicious circumstance remarked, but not one suggestion has ever been made from any quarter which might tend positively to explain how the medium living the apparent life she lives could possibly collect information about so many sitters by natural means. So I want to play for you a uh, uh, an interview, a discussion between uh, parapsychologist Stephen Brody and uh, Jeff Mishlov. Uh, uh, Stephen Brody was a member of SPR for a number of years uh, about Mrs. Piper, so let, let's listen, shall we? This would be those where... I want to communicate with deceased relatives or friends, and they get very detailed, intimate um, evidence that the uh, communicator is who he or she claims to be. Mm -hmm. So, for example, in the famous case of the American medium Leonora Piper, uh, Mrs. Piper was very famous for being able to come up with uh, details time after time uh, between the same communicator, for example, and lots of people who knew that communicator mm -hmm. a communicator when he or she was alive. Mm -hmm. The most famous example would be the GP personality, George Pelu. Mm -hmm. um, I think 150 people communicated with the GP communicator. 30 of them knew GP well during his life. Of those 30 people who interviewed the GP communicator, he correctly identified 29 of them the only one he missed was someone who the last time he saw when alive was a little girl, but at this time when she communicated with him, she was an adult. In, in other words, these people are typically are called sitters, sitters. who attend the seance, Correct. and uh, in the best of circumstances, they are anonymous. They, the medium is never introduced to uh, them by name. Right. Uh, the medium didn't know who they were. Um, the sitters all felt that they were really in touch with someone who could uh, communicate with them about things that would have been known only to the two of them. Mm -hmm. um, I should add that Mrs. Piper was scrupulously examined. She was trailed by detectives uh, sent by the members of the Society for Psychical Research. To see that she wasn't on the sly researching Absolutely. Uh, this sort of thing. Absolutely. Yeah. And her career went on for many, many years mm -hmm. providing evidence of this quality. Well, an interesting thing about Mrs. Piper, uh, who worked with William James right. extensively, yeah, and that's probably why she became so famous, uh, she was also tested by uh, another famous American psychologist, Stanley Hall. And uh, to my recollection, uh, he, he claimed that she provided no evidence whatsoever. I forget the details of that experiment right now, but yeah. I do remember that she was treated very poorly, mm -hmm. and it was transformative for her mediumship because after that she didn't do quite as well as uh, afterwards. So, yeah. and you know, mediums need to be handled with the same sort of respect and caution as every experimental subject. Mm -hmm. Well, and I'm under the impression that Stanley Hall was skeptical yes. from the very beginning, although yeah. I, I did read the book. And, and he uh, at least went so far as to commend Mrs. Piper for her willingness to cooperate with him over an extended period of time. Yes, no one had any doubts about Mrs. Piper's character. Mm -hmm. um, some had doubts about her mediumship. And even William James wasn't sure that she provided evidence of survival. He was in no doubt whatsoever that uh, she exhibited some sort of, he called it, supernormal faculty. Yes. Well, I, I gather that there were moments when he felt pretty impressed that from a dramatic point of view, I think as he expressed it, uh, it was convincing, if not 
scientifically convincing. Absolutely, yes. It had that kind of visceral uh, quality, which the very best cases, in fact, usually have. Mm -hmm. An inter interesting thing about that was that um, some people speculated that she withdrew privately um, after that um, unpleasant incident where uh, she was bullied, basically, and intimidated and just found it wise to um, not not perform anymore under these conditions. Um, the, uh, the GP communications um, – uh, George Pelham was a young Boston lawyer who was uh, uh, intensely interested in literature and philosophy. And the interesting thing about that was that uh, Mrs. Popper was not very educated in classical literature. And uh, what convinced our art, art skeptic Hodgson was that the the spirit, apparently, of uh, GP engaged him in um, vigorous debate about um, uh, various matters involving literature and philosophy that only someone who was uh, very extremely educated in these matters, um, it would take years and years of study. It's not like she could have just pulled a book down off the shelf and said, okay, I'm going to drop a few uh, Shakespearean quotes and uh, you know mention uh, Heidegger here. Um, so uh, 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 George uh, Pelou uh, told Hodgson that the, the two had discussed the possibility of an afterlife. They had many um, – Discussions because uh, 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 Palou was extremely skeptical of even the possibility. He promised Hodgson if he should die first and find himself still living, he tries best to communicate. So uh, uh, Palou met his death accidentally at the age of 32 by a fall in New York. So four weeks later, Hodgson accompanied a close friend of uh, Palou's to a sitting with Mrs. Popper, with the friend sitting under the assumed name of John Hart, with uh, Penney acting as an intermediary, the control, messages purporting to come from uh, Pelou were related to Hart. Now, remember, uh, Pelou had attended a sitting with Mrs. Piper about five years earlier under an assumed name, and that Hodgson did not think that Mrs. Piper remembered seeing him. But at any rate, at the sitting, George Pelou's name was given in full. The sitter was recognized by his real name, and the communication referred to that incidents that were unknown to both the sitter and Hodgson. Um, and we'll pick this up next week uh, at this point, but one of these unknown incidents concerned James and Mary Howard, who were mentioned by name along with that of their daughter, Catherine. The message was, tell her, she'll know, I'll solve the problems, Catherine, and these words meant nothing to Hodgson or the sitter, but when Hart gave James Howard an account of the sitting the next day, these words impressed him more than anything else because Palou, when he'd last stayed with the Howards, had talked frequently to Catherine, who was about 15 years old, about certain philosophical problems, and it turned out that Palou had told the girl that he would solve the problems and let her know using almost the exact same words communicated at the sitting. It was hundreds of incidents like these that convinced many members of uh, the SPR that they had found the genuine article in Mrs. Piper. And uh, we'll pick this up next week and look at um, – I guess, other sides of the story. So join us next week. We'll talk more about Mrs. Lenora Piper and the SPR.